Hello, my friends. Young and old, little and big, heroes and heroines. And welcome to this episode of Finneran's Wake for kids. The stories here told stand at the very heart of our culture, a culture to whose ancient rhythm and musical pulse each and every one of our souls is tuned. These stories vibrate in our bones, course through our veins, and resonate and dance all around us. The following story, about which I'm very excited to tell you, is one you'll not soon forget. It's the story of Diana and Acteon. It features a fine, young nobleman, Acteon, whose skill as a hunter, fitness as a leader, and handsomeness as a lad were the envy of all. His aimless wandering into a mystical cave his encounter with the owner of said cave, the goddess Diana, by whom, in a fit of rage and injured modesty, he was magically transformed, and the sorry end that came about because of this transformation. Thebes, located in central Greece, is the ancient city in which today's fantastic tale is set. Yes, by Jove, you're absolutely right. Your memory is exquisite. I knew Thebes sounded familiar. It's the same city of which Cadmus, the Phoenician prince, was, but a single episode ago, the founder. Do you remember some of the details of its founding, the circumstances by which Thebes came into being? If not, and if you'd like to refresh your memory and gratify your curiosity, go back to that episode entitled Cadmus and give it a listen. I think you'll enjoy it. In brief, Cadmus, of royalty born, was given the impossible task of finding, recovering, and repatriating or returning to her home his stolen sister, Europa, the beautiful princess of Tyre, whom Zeus, in the guise of a magnificent white bull, seized and carried off to the distant island of Crete. In vain, Cadmus, Europa's faithful brother, searched the whole wide world for the abducted girl, of whose whereabouts he remained till the very end of his journey hopelessly ignorant. Banned from returning to Tyre without his sister, Cadmus went on to found his own city, Thebes, over which he governed as a most valiant, just, learned, honorable, and civilized king. With his beautiful wife, Harmonia, he begat, or fathered, many children, 
who had, in turn, many children of their own. One of his grandsons, on whom our story is focused today, was called Actaeon. Actaeon was a remarkable boy. At just 16 years of age, the pride of his family and the descendant of a king, Actaeon struck an impressive figure. He was broad-shouldered, wasp-waisted, and fleet-footed, blessed with the kind of athleticism of which only Achilles, Heracles, LeBron James, or Patrick Mahomes might boast. His strength and quickness, on which he always worked, far exceeded that of his friends, and his knowledge of the woods and his accuracy with the bow were simply unmatched. He could, after tracking it across miles of treacherous terrain, strike a moving target a hundred yards away and carry it back to camp without even breaking a sweat. Add to that his long blonde hair and dark green eyes, his broad square jaw and finely chiseled brow, a combination of features over which all the young girls gushed, the old maids swooned, and the young men, quite unequal to him in looks, jealously fretted. No doubt, Actaeon was an energetic and handsome boy, a prince at whose great skill and attractive face everyone in Thebes couldn't but marvel. But, more importantly, he was a well-behaved young man, an obedient son, a respectful grandson, and a caring brother for whom timeouts and the revocation of cell phone privileges were seldom, if ever, needed. He was also a natural leader. Every day, he would lead his friends and countrymen up into the mountains through which, from sunrise to sunset, they would hunt for wild game. Thebes, unblessed by fertile soil, relied on animals for its meals. By the gods' favor and grace, its mountains were filled with a variety of birds, bears, stags, and pigs with which the growing city could be fed. Question. Who was Actaeon's Grandfather. Yes, Cadmus. Cadmus, the founder of Thebes, was Actaeon's grandfather. One morning, just before noon, after a particularly successful hunt, Actaeon called out to his sweaty comrades. Come, my friends. Our nets are heavy, our javelins drip with our quarry's blood, and our bodies, they are weary. A quarry is any animal pursued by a hunter. It could be a deer, a turkey, a pig, or anything of the kind. He continued, Today has brought success enough, and we've got quite enough to carry back as it is. Thebes, our beloved city, will eat well tonight. Tomorrow, when the dawn, raised on wheels of saffron, rolls toward another day, we'll 
start our work again. For now, the sun shines halfway up his journey, and his rays crack the parched countryside. It is hot, and it will only get hotter. Take up your nets, gather up your spoils, and let us end the work at hand. His fellow hunters, fatigued by the morning's boon, but giddy at the prospect of a free afternoon, cheered their leader's announcement. Although he enjoyed being in the presence of his friends, Acteon perhaps found even greater pleasure in spending time by himself. He liked to be alone. As was his habit, he left his friends to their revels and their jokes, and proceeded to walk through the forest alone. After some hours of aimless wandering and thoughtless thinking, Acteon came upon a valley draped in dense, hanging woods. Shielding it from the hot sun were trees of pine and cypress. This picturesque scene, on which not even the great Vincent van Gogh could improve, was covered in lush vegetation and a deep shady green. This pristine place, known as Gargaphae, was, unbeknownst to Acteon, sacred to Diana. To whom was this part of the forest sacred? That's right, to Diana. Diana, or Artemis, was not a goddess to trifle with. Among hunters and huntresses, of which, especially in Thebes, there were many, she was unquestionably supreme. There is but one archer to whom she was inferior, her divine twin brother, Apollo. Do you remember Apollo? The love-struck god by whom the beautiful nymph Daphne was chased? After this episode is over, go ahead and listen to their story. It's a fascinating one. Diana, even more than her brother, was associated with the wilderness, wild animals, nature, vegetation, childbirth, and, perhaps more than anything else, chastity. It was for this last trait, chastity, that she most wanted to be known, hoped to be esteemed, and expected to be worshipped. To be chaste is a very noble feat. It requires the avoidance of romantic relations with others before the time is right. The retention or the keeping of one's purity, the honoring of one's virtue, the resistance to all temptations, and the control of one's appetites. As a goddess, Diana was the very symbol of chastity. She was exceedingly modest, dignified, and spotless, and would rather die than get caught up with a man. Deep in this part of the forest was a cave, Diana's cave, through which a limpid, or perfectly clear spring flowed. 
follow the spring long enough, and you'd see it empty into a shining pool of crystal, where the purest water on earth gathered. It was in this pristine pool that Diana delighted to bathe after every hunt. She loved nothing better than to strip off her sweaty clothes, set down her bow and quiver, untie her knotted hair, kick off her dirty sandals, and soak in the refreshing bath. To help her do so, she called upon her nymphs, the young women of the stream and forest by whom she was dutifully attended. <laughs> no sooner had Diana undressed completely than Acteon sauntered up to the cave. Remember, he was just wandering about the forest till that time. He knew not where he was going. He was merely led, unwittingly, by the invisible hand of fate. Intrigued by this cool, welcoming cave through which the limpid spring flowed, Acteon entered and began to look around. Wow, he said to himself, this cave is stupendous. It looks as though it could be home to a god. It's like nothing I've ever seen. I just have to explore it. And explore it he did. He penetrated the cave deeper and deeper until, at long last, he reached a round, shallow, clear pool in which a bunch of pretty young girls were bathing. Blissfully unaware of his presence, the girls were all laughing and splashing one another with water, washing their bodies and refreshing their spirits in the pool's carefree bomb. All of a sudden, one of the nymphs noticed Acteon. She was mortified or deeply embarrassed by what she saw. A boy was looking at her, her friends, and worst of all, her revered goddess in their naked state. She gasped and rendered speechless by the unwelcome surprise, could do nothing more than nudge her friend. Her friend, realizing the cause of her distress, let out a scream. <coughs> the rest of the girls, alerted to Acteon's presence, did the same. Frantic, they all rushed over to Diana, the beautiful, chaste goddess at whom, especially in her naked state, no mortal, not even our handsome Acteon, was permitted to look. They tried their best to conceal her, but it was no use. Diana was much taller than all the rest, and most of her body remained exposed. They tried their best to preserve her modesty, but it was utterly lost. And to whom was it lost? Acteon the royal wanderer, who was now staring directly at the naked goddess. A deep crimson suffused, or spread across Diana's virgin cheek. She blushed a redder red than anyone had ever seen. The red of her blush, though, quickly transformed into the red of anger, 
as she unleashed her wrath and fury on poor Acteon. Infuriated by Acteon's impertinence, Diana reached behind her back for her quiver, but of this, just prior to her bath, she remembered she'd been stripped. Unarmed, she thrust forth her hand and struck the water, the only weapon in reach. Cupping it, she flung the crystal fluid in Acteon's slack-jawed face. As his face was drenched in Diana's fury, the goddess proclaimed the following words. Go ahead. Tell your friends that you saw me here naked without my clothes, if you can tell at all. Just like that, Acteon was rendered speechless. He'd lost all ability to talk. He moved his lips, about which the final beads of water trickled, but with their opening, no sound was produced. No sooner had he realized that he was voiceless than he felt something heavy and awkward on his head. Sprouting through the wavy tangles of his golden tresses were two antlers. Antlers? Can you believe it? But wait, there's more. Acteon's neck, once so smooth and well-proportioned, began to grow fur and lengthen as his handsome face, the envy of all who looked upon it, began to morph and shrink. His ears, charming little buttons behind which he always tucked his flowing locks, enlarged and became pointed. His hands transformed into hooves as his muscular arms became long, thin legs. Finally, a dappled hide replaced his tan, fresh skin. Dappled just means covered with white spots. Into what animal would you guess was Acteon transformed? A bear like Callisto? A bull like Zeus? A spider like Arachne? Well, what do you think? He was transformed into a stag. That's a male deer. Acteon, frightened by his new form, quickly turned and ran away. Never again would he accidentally visit Diana's cave. As he did so, he marveled at the speed with which his four legs now carried him but he couldn't help thinking that something wasn't right. Though his mind felt unaltered, he sensed that his body was completely changed. Far removed from Diana's wrath, Acteon found a stream into which, in search of his reflection, he hesitatingly peered. He was curious, but scared to see what image awaited him in the liquid mirror. With but a single glance, all doubt was removed. Acteon had been transformed into a stag. In the water's reflection, he saw it all. 
antlers, ears, hooves, and dappled hide. He groaned and tried to call out to his friends for assistance, but no words came forth. He was like a deer, mute. Mute just means speechless. Acteon, with the mind of a human and the body of a stag, didn't know what to do. Should he go home to Thebes and return to the palace? Would he be accepted there? Would King Cadmus, his royal grandfather, recognize and embrace him? Or, like all the other deer in the wild, should he stay in hiding in the forest? Should he tread very quietly and eat leafy green vegetables and hope not to arouse the detection of hunters and their hounds? Shame forbade the first decision, fear the second. While Acteon stood there in the forest weighing his options, his trusty hounds, of which he had no less than fifty, caught an intoxicating whiff of his new animal's scent. Uh-oh. Remember, Acteon was, so far as everyone else could tell, a real stag. He had only the mind of a man, but, deprived of a voice, he couldn't make his mind known. In all outward appearance, he was a stag and nothing more. And, as a stag, his hounds pursued him. All at once, Acteon, the hunter, became the hunted. In fear of his life, he sprinted away, but the hounds were as vicious as they were relentless. He longed to shout, I am Acteon, your rightful master, the same person by whom you're fed and led each day. But he was dispossessed of his words. He opened his mouth, yet all remained silent. After a short chase, Acteon, the predator turned prey was cornered. One after the next, his hounds took turns leaping on to him until the whole pack, united, sank their teeth into his flesh. Ouch. In response to which, he gave a wailing scream. Not human, yet a sound no stag could make. On the edge of death, Acteon sank to his knees. With what little energy remained to him, he looked up and around to see that all his friends had now arrived. Could it be? He wondered. Were they really here to save him? Would he be 
preserved from the painful bite of the canine's teeth? Would he be relieved at the last desperate moment? No. As it turns out, he would not be so lucky. They arrived, he quickly learned, not to rescue him, nor to call off the savagery of the hungry, unchained dogs, but to watch their final takedown of the injured stag. They cheered at the spectacle before them, on which they all agreed their good pal and leader Acteon was sorely missing out. Little did they know, Acteon was there, front and center, suffering, wound after wound, bite after bite, right before their eyes. It wasn't long before Acteon, the young nobleman of Thebes, succumbed to his injuries. As a stag, the young man died, and his friends cheered the loss. Thank you so much for joining me on this wonderful adventure. I hope you enjoyed the myth of Diana and Acteon. In this episode, we learned about a fine young nobleman, Acteon, whose aimless wandering led him to a hallowed cave. The chaste goddess of the hunt, Diana, to whom that cave was sacred. The meaning of chastity and the importance of upholding this virtue the fury of Diana when seen naked, the punishment suffered by Acteon for having seen her so, Acteon, the hunter, became Acteon, the hunted stag, and, at last, his gruesome death. A bit bloody for my taste, to be sure, but an excellent myth nevertheless. The purpose of this channel is to entertain and enlighten the whole family, young and old, child and parent alike. With your support, we can achieve that noble end. We can rebuild an intelligent, curious, and lovable society, one in which we're all eager to grow up. Please, subscribe to this channel leave a five-star rating, and, most importantly, share it with friends. Send it to them right now as a link in a text message. Share it with your Facebook groups, your Instagram and Twitter followers, or your fellow parents shopping at Target, in line at the Apple Store, dancing at Zumba, pedaling on the Peloton, working at work, or doing whatever it is you do in the course of the day. Let's raise together a generation of geniuses. Let's not forsake our myths and heroes, the great men and women by whom our extraordinary culture is built. Visit my sister podcasts, Finnerin's Wake and Numa, spelled P-N-E-U-M-A, 
for more adult material. And with that, farewell. Thank you.